church. Today I want to talk to you about a feeling that I believe that all of us in this room are going to be able to identify with this morning. Uh, if you're like me, you are used to coming to church and getting inspired. I, I get that almost every Sunday, inspired, motivated, just moved by the Holy Spirit. And, and when that happens and when it's time to make a commitment, you know, we raise our hands, maybe we rush to the altar because we want to give God our all. And so maybe you come to the altar, you pray, you cry out to God, maybe you put in more effort than you normally would when you go home that week because Sunday was so great, and you have this renewed, refreshed, deep desire to please the Lord. You know, that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. We ought to feel that way after receiving the word of God, and even just after receiving announcement like the one that we just did, yeah, God, let's finish the work. We're ready to do whatever it takes. Uh, church, that feeling is not just a Sunday feeling. We can have that when we go to Wednesday prayer. We can have that when we listen to our favorite worship album. When we read a devotion, you can get that inspiration, that motivation, that move of the Holy Spirit when somebody takes you for coffee and they just speak life into you and they encourage you. You resonate and you respond to that. And maybe for a moment, maybe for a few days, you, you say, God, oh man, I'm committed and I'm never looking back, God. I'm going for it. But I want to talk about the flip side of that as well right now. Because if you're like me, Monday morning comes, you know? Monday morning comes, and, and you recognize that there's a part of you that maybe can't keep up with that desire to be committed, that desire to be courageous. It is always mixed. And I want to let you know that it's always mixed. It's like two steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward. Three steps back, great, we're back where we started again. You know, one minute, personally, I am standing with my hands raised, tears falling down my cheeks. That was just a couple weeks ago in church. I was so moved by the Holy Spirit. God, I'm yours. God, I would do anything for you. The next day, I can barely get myself out of bed and go to work on time. I, can, I, I, don't, I don't even feel like I have it in me to open my Bible app and read a few scriptures or maybe offer up a quick prayer to God. I'm the guy who starts reading plans this is me, I don't know if this is you, but I start reading plans in my Bible, and I'm inspired when I do. I keep it going for a couple days, maybe a couple weeks, and then I forget about them. I forget about them. And then I gotta click this little button in my app that says catch me up, and it's like months, it just catches up all the months, and you go, oh, okay, I'm caught up again. But there's this tension in my life with Jesus that is commitment and non-commitment sometimes coexisting together, it feels like. I sometimes make promises like, God, I will never sin like that again. I'll never give in to that temptation again. I will, I'll never give in to that behavior. I'll never respond to my wife, Chantel, like that again because that was ugly. Oh, that's not me. I don't want to be like that. And so I make promises, <laughs> promises sometimes that I don't hold up to or I don't keep. But it brings me back to this sense that my life with God is this way, it's that way, and some days are good. Some days I'm really good. Some days I know that Jesus is good. And other days I'm like, what was that? That was really dumb. <laughs> what just happened there? Uh, Pastor Greg and I were having a conversation about this this week. 
And actually, I loved the way he framed this thought. It was something I'd never heard before. But he said, Peter, spiritual formation is the slowest kind of formation. And then, and then what he said was, it's glacier. It's glacier formation. How many of you know that glaciers don't move quickly? Glaciers develop very gradually. Spiritual formation is glacier formation. We can be impatient with ourselves in the midst of that. Maybe we can get impatient with other people in the midst of that because they're growing. Or we can come to this place of honesty. And that's, that's really what I want to come to this morning in this message, is this place of honesty with God. God, I, I make promises, I fall short. God, it's not perfect. And, and God just loves on us in the midst of that. God doesn't just want us when we're good. God wants us all the time. He wants all of us all the time. And so let me pray into that, and then uh, we're going to get started with this message. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. God, I just pray grace and peace upon this congregation today. Lord, you know each and every person's story. God, the kind of week they've had, the ups and downs. God, the hesitancies, the inconsistencies, the two steps forward, the three steps back. God, you know the hearts of your people, the commitments they make, the commitments they fall through in, God. And Lord, you just want all of us this morning. And so, Lord, I do pray that in the midst of that, there would be a consecration, there would be a devotion, there would just be a giving all of ourselves to you, God. God, knowing that you are so, so good to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, I'm talking about one of Jesus' disciples today, primarily for this whole message, and it's going to feel kind of funny for me because he's the one that shares a name with me. All right? We're going to talk about Peter today. It's going to feel like I'm talking in third person. Um, but I think everyone in this room is going to be able to relate to the tension that Peter lived with of being committed to Jesus and yet unable to live up to the fullness of that commitment. He is so unique amongst the disciples in this regard. And I believe that, that, that the way that Jesus responded to Peter is the same way that he would respond to you and me. I'm in Matthew 26. And uh, I'm not going to be reading all of Matthew 26. I'm going to be skimming over large portions of Scripture, and then I'm going to be moving to another chapter in just a little while. But this is shortly before Jesus was arrested in Matthew 26. And, and Jesus let his disciples know, guys, you're going to run away. You are going to desert me. I can't imagine following Jesus consistently day in, day out for three years, and then hearing him say to me, you're going to run away. You're going to desert me. Before the night is over, you're all going to run away. Um, one of the disciples, his name is Peter, was especially committed. And he replied to Jesus and said, even if all the rest lose faith and they fall away, I will still be beside you, Jesus. Peter distinguishes himself from the rest and says, not a chance, Jesus. These guys may fail. I will never fail you. But then Jesus said, are you sure about that, Peter? Before the rooster crows a few hours from now, in the early hours of the morning, you will have denied me three times. Peter continues to argue with Jesus. 
whoa, I will never deny you, even if I have to die for you, Jesus. And then all the disciples went, "Mm mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, and they fell in line behind Peter, and they said the same thing. This is Matthew 26. Now, a few verses later, Jesus is now in the garden. It's the Garden of Gethsemane. He's preparing himself to be arrested, to go to the cross, to die for the sins of humanity, and he's a ways off from his disciples. You know the story. He returns to them, and what are they doing? They're they're sleeping. They're sleeping. Verse 40 says, Jesus wakes up Peter. Peter. Highly committed, passionate, I will die for you, Jesus. Jesus wakes him up. Come on, buddy, get up. Do you not have the strength to stay awake with me for one hour, Jesus says? And then he says something really profound, and I want you to catch this because this kind of encapsulates some of what I'm talking about in my message today. But Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You ever feel like that? I do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I like the way it says it in the Message Bible. It says, there is a part of you that is eager, ready for anything in God, but there's a part of you that's as lazy as an old dog sleeping by the fire. Oh, that's convicting a little bit. But we can't be too hard on Peter, because a few verses later, he bounces back. This is kind of cool. Soldiers show up to take Jesus away, and Peter says to himself, enough sleep, boom, he's up. Next thing you know, he's pulled out a sword, and he's swinging a sword like a wild man, and he cuts off one of the ears of one of the guys who have come to get Jesus. What a psycho. Hey, what what are you doing, Peter? Story for you. I don't think I've ever shared this story uh, in any of my messages, but it's a good one. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was, I was in choir. I did choir for four years. And we were at a church, and we were worshiping. And oh, it was good. It was like hands raised, worship in the air. Jesus, I'm committed to you. I'm consecrating myself to you. Tears are falling. <clears throat> and then I got distracted Because a few rows away from me, there's this really big guy, bigger than me, and no word of a lie, he pulls out a sword, and he just raises it to heaven like this, and he just stood there with this big sword, and I'm just like, how are people okay with this? He just pulled out a sword, and I was so distracted, and I just kept worshiping. Oh, yeah, that's Dave with his sword. It's all good. Don't do that in our church. We will call the police on you, okay? But I thought to myself, I got my hands in the air. He's got a sword in the air. This guy's committed. He's like Peter. He's like Peter. But do you see a pattern here? Jesus says, listen, guys, you're going to scatter when I'm arrested. Peter says, no way. I'm going all the way, Jesus. Then he's sleeping. Wake up, Peter. Wake up. And then he's up again, he's swinging a sword, people's ears are falling off. A few verses later, verse 56, all the disciples ran away. All the disciples ran away. It happened just as Jesus said it would happen. Now, I'm not sure if any of the other disciples did this, but the story goes on and it says that Peter followed at a distance. Sometimes you and I are like this as well. There's fear, there's insecurity, we're unable, you know, we're trying, we're this way, we're that way. Jesus, I'm all in, then I'm all out, then I'm kind of in the middle. Peter's 
scampering along at a distance, following after Jesus. He ran away, but he's still there. Jesus is in the chief priest's courtyard, and Peter's just hanging around. And this is where I'm going to pick up reading. This is verse 69, and I'm reading from a translation of the Bible called the Passion Translation. I love this version. It says, Peter was still sitting outside in the courtyard when a servant girl came up to him and said, hey, I recognize you. You were with Jesus the Galilean. In front of everyone, Peter denied it and said, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Later, as he stood near the gateway of the courtyard, another servant girl noticed him and said, I know this man is a follower of Jesus the Nazarene. Once again, Peter denied it, and with an oath, he said, I tell you, I do not know the man. Third time. A short time later, those standing nearby approached Peter, and they said, we know that you are one of his disciples. We can tell by your speech, your Galilean accent gives you away. Peter denied it, and this is where things get insane. Using a profanity, he said, I don't know the man. And at that very moment, the sound of a crowing rooster pierced the night. And Peter remembered the prophecy of Jesus. Before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And this is just defeating. With a shattered heart, Peter went out of the courtyard sobbing bitter tears. I don't know if any of you have been there before. I have. But when we read this story, there's there's maybe a part of us that wants to judge Peter. Sometimes we want to judge ourselves when we end up in this kind of a denial or a failure of our faith. But Peter, you blew it. You said you were all in, but clearly you are not. The story should have been different in Matthew 26. The way that I like to imagine it is Peter being dragged off with Jesus, shouting as the soldiers wrestle him to the ground, Lord, this is it. This is it, Jesus. I'm prepared to die for you. Come what may. We're in this together, Jesus. That's the way that the story could have gone, but it didn't. He ran away, he hid, and then he cowered in fear at the question of a little servant girl. Two servant girls. Hey, mister, do you know Jesus? No! I have never heard of him! It says he swore with profanity. The literal translation of that, when you dig into the original language, is he said, may I be cursed if I am not telling the truth. May I be cursed if I know Jesus. What kind of emotion and fear was resonating in this guy? And so, yes, the initial response to Peter is, you are a failure, But then I remember something, and it just hit my heart this week, and that's that I'm Peter. I am just like him, and I wonder if you are just like him as well. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. I'm all in, and yet maybe I don't even know what that means. I'm not even sure I have the ability to do that, to be all in. If you caught the title at the beginning of my message, my message is called Be All In. Be All In. And this is a concept that has, it's a very confusing definition, really. It has two extremes to it. There are two sides to this definition. And we're going to pull that up on the slide right now. It means to be fully committed to a task or endeavor, to give or be prepared to give all of one's energy or resources towards something. That sounds like Peter in the first part of the story, doesn't it? That sounds like him. This was Peter at the beginning. But then it says to be tired and unable to do anything more. To be tired and unable to do anything. He's sleeping in the garden, man. 
You know, in the game of poker, I'm, not that I'm a poker player, my brother Mark is, he has poker nights sometimes. When you say, I'm all in, it means I've, I've given everything that I've got. There's nothing left to give. Chips are on the table, and my best cards might not be enough to win the game. But you're all in. You've given everything you've got. To give another example, to give a personal example, uh, I remember being about 10 years old and taking swimming lessons. And at least at the beginning, not being able to swim very well. But I remember the first time I had to go in the deep end. Anybody know what that's like? The first time you got to go in the deep end? Standing at the edge of the deep end of the pool. And I'd imagined this before I even got to swimming lessons. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be awesome. I'm going to be amazing. Peter, you're an Olympian. Jump in the pool and swim the length. You can do it. And so I'm thinking about it the night before I go to my swimming lesson, and I'm imagining theme music kicking in, and I imagine the other kids getting jealous. Oh my goodness, wow, look at him go. He's faster than everybody else. And I imagine the teacher saying, he's a prodigy, a child prodigy, wow. But guess what? It didn't happen that way. I didn't jump confidently into the pool. I sort of half fell off the wall, and then I panicked and I twisted my body in the air, grasping for the edge, hyperventilating. <laughs> and let me tell you something, I didn't start swimming right away. I was, the teacher practically had to step on my fingers to let me to let go of the wall. But then I was flailing before I was swimming. You get that in your life with Jesus? Sometimes you're flailing before you're swimming. And sometimes you're doing this really lame doggy paddle. Your eyes should be Michael Phelps right now. No doggy paddling. But that's what it meant to be all in. There was this sense of confidence. Oh, I'm in the pool, imagining myself gliding through the water. But then came the reality of my inability. I was afraid, and I was insecure, and I was unable. And maybe this morning we can just own that for ourselves in all the commitments and all the promises and all the songs we sing. God, I'm all yours. I will love you always, Lord. Lord, I love you. I love you. I'm all in. But there's parts of our lives where we're afraid and we're insecure and we're unable. This is an honesty moment. And so redefining what it means to be all in, what the Holy Spirit just spoke to me this week, was being all in doesn't mean you're all the way there. Being all in doesn't mean you're all the way there. It doesn't mean you've arrived. It doesn't mean you're successful. What are your expectations of this Christian life that you're living? I believe that with all my heart, there's grace for the person who says, God, I want to get it right. I want to be who you made me to be, and when temptation comes and fear comes and that situation comes up again, I want to believe that I'll hold to my convictions, to my morals, to my faith, to my values, but even if I don't, God, I know that you love me. You love me so much. I know that you will jump in and you'll keep me above the water. I was talking to Rick. Uh, sometimes our pastors are so helpful in crafting each other's messages. It's just wonderful. But I was chatting with Rick about my message, and, and this encouraged me a lot. This might be clarifying for some of you this morning. He said, Peter, there's a difference between a rebellious person and an immature believer. And I kind of had to chew on that. There's a difference between a rebellious person and an immature believer. Sometimes when we get it wrong, 
Uh, we run away, we hide, we cower, we deny, uh, we mess up. What, there's an enemy in this world. And he gets into our thought process and he says, you're bad. You are a bad person. You are rebellious. Now, a rebellious person is somebody who is resistant to authority. They say, I will not listen. I will not change. I want to do my own thing, and I don't care what the Bible says or what pastor says. I want to do my own. That's a rebellious person. But most of the time, you and I are not rebellious. Sometimes we are. Let's be honest. Sometimes uh, it's subtle, but it's there. But very often, we're just immature. And immaturity means we don't yet have the experience necessary to do the right thing. You need to know better in order to do better. And more than that, it's not just that you need to know better to do better. You need to experience the right thing. You need to experience better before you're empowered to do better. When you really experience the life of salvation, oh, what Jesus did for you on the cross. This is why we preach the gospel again and again and again. Because it's the only thing that really gives you life to change. When you experience that life of salvation, something just clicks. Something clicks, and the empowerment to make courageous choices becomes a reality for you. This is why you need to long for that power to comprehend all that Jesus has done for you. You need to experience something better in order to be empowered to do better. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about our inability versus Christ's perfect ability this might help some of you as well. This is in Romans chapter 7, and this is the Message Bible. So Paul's a lot like Peter. Paul's a lot like you and I. He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. <laughs> Feel like that before? I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And Paul says, isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something different. Peter was like Paul, Paul was like Peter, these guys are like you and me, but Jesus acted to set things right in this life of contradictions. Praise God for the cross. This is why we don't meditate on our failures, but we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus, you are enough when I'm not enough. Jesus, you are sufficient when I'm so insufficient. You love me. You're for me. You're not against me. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And you just stir up your faith that way. And this is going to sound like a strange quote that I'm about to say, but you do imperfect and let Jesus do perfect in you. You do imperfect and let Jesus do perfect in you. And when I'm saying that, if you're indulging in sin right now, I'm not saying that's okay. I'm not saying it's okay to do imperfect things, like go and do whatever you want to do. That's not it. But what I'm saying is that God wants all all of you. He wants all of you. He wants the good, the bad, the ugly, the inconsistent, the hesitant. He wants those who fail and he wants those who are afraid and those who fall down. And he says, bring all of it. 
You bring your imperfect, and I will do perfect in you. With my perfect salvation, I'll minister to those areas. Receive my love. Let me love on you, even though you can't love me as perfectly. You know, I've come to realize something in my life as a Christian, um, and that's that Jesus is never the one creating distance in the relationship. Jesus is never the one creating distance in the relationship. We learned that last week. Pastor Greg had an amazing message last week. It was called Bridging the Gap. Jesus has done everything to close the gap, to bring us close. You have full access. You can go right up to Jesus. But sometimes you and I create distance. And just so you understand this, we do this in human relationships as well. When you slip up in a relationship, maybe it's a friendship, maybe it's your marriage, what do you do? You create distance. And maybe there's a part of you in that distance, in that awkwardness that blames the other person. Well, he went and did this. Well, she went and said that. And now it's awkward. There's distance. But, but if you're like me, if you dig down deep, often what you will find is that you are feeling convicted. You're feeling convicted for your own behavior. I feel guilty because I made mistakes. I didn't follow through. I said things that I shouldn't have. It happens to me all the time. It actually just happened to Chantel and I. It's funny how your marriage kind of makes its way into a message. <laughs> but when I come to the end of myself, I realize, I think I know what's going on here. I'm just really embarrassed for the way that I'm acting. And so I'm pushing you away. And we do that with each other, and I believe that we do that with God. God, I, I blew it, God. And it's easier right now to push you away than it is to take responsibility. You know, picking up with Peter's story again, Peter did what many people who experience failure do. He, he went back to his old life. And this is why Christians backslide sometimes. This is why they stop coming to church and why they stop doing their devotions and, and they give up. Peter went back to his old life. Prior to being a disciple, Peter was a fisherman. Uh, when Jesus first called Peter the first time, Peter was out on the sea fishing and Jesus called out to him and said, hey, Peter, his name was Simon, follow me. I am gonna make you a fisher of men. And what Jesus was saying was, I'm going to make you into a person who catches people, who catches people and brings them into my purpose. Leave the fish behind, Peter. You are called to reach people now. But needless to say, three years of ministry experience with Jesus, and after Peter had ran away with the other disciples, after he had denied knowing Jesus, and after Jesus had been crucified, Peter was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. Jesus is gone, and although I tried to be faithful, I wasn't. Imagine living with that for the rest of your life. Although I tried to be strong, I wasn't strong. Although I said I was all in, I stumbled and I fumbled and I fell flat on my face. There is nothing more to do than to go back to my boat and to be a fisherman. And now moving to John chapter 21, this, again, this is after Jesus had died, but we're going to find out that Jesus had resurrected. Hallelujah. This is the cornerstone of Christianity, that he defeated death. Jesus is back. Jesus is about to appear to two of his closest disciples, Peter and John, who were off from shore fishing in a boat. And so Jesus, Jesus is walking on the shore. Again, this is John 21. And he calls out to these guys in a boat, and he says, hey, have you caught any fish yet? 
Peter and John are thinking, who is this guy? <laughs> Why is he yelling at us right now? But they say, no, not a thing. This random guy on the shore. Jesus tells them, well, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter's sitting there going, oh, this is familiar. There's no logical reason why it would have been better to throw your nets on the other side of the boat, but they give it a shot, and sure enough, they nearly break their nets, pulling in this enormous catch of fish. And that was the aha moment. That was it. Peter gets this twinkle in his eye. John looks at Peter and goes, It's the Lord! It's Jesus! And, and t- speaking of being all in, Peter hoists up his cloak and he jumps in. He jumps into the water. He is so excited. He begins swimming to shore. He's in the water. He's all in. I want to tell you something really cool about this story. Again, the Bible is so amazing. The first time that Jesus called Peter, he was in the exact same situation. Jesus is looking out at the water, and he sees this rugged fisherman, and I could just see Jesus saying to himself, Ah, yeah, there's such potential in that guy. I'm going to make him a fisher of men. He is going to be powerful in my kingdom. Look at him, way off in that boat. And then fast forward to the story that we're in today. Jesus is looking out at the water, and he sees Peter. And get this, knowing that Peter had made promises that he couldn't keep, that he had run away, that he had hid from the soldiers, that he had denied him three times, despite all that, Jesus knew all that. I could still see Jesus saying, oh, yeah. There he is. There is such potential in that guy, Peter. Wow. He's going to be powerful in my kingdom. And church, what does that say about the way that God looks at you? What does that say about the way that God looks at you? He knows your good days. He knows your bad days. He knows every day in between. Sometimes I meet people and I go, oh yeah, they like me right now. Are they going to like me three years from now when they know the real me? And God still looks at you and says, I love you. I love him. I love her so much. They're going to be powerful in my kingdom. And then Jesus performs the exact same miracle he performed for Peter the first time he met him. He did it the first time. Oh, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. They bring in this huge haul of fish. This time, well, throw your, fish, throw your net on the other side. They bring in fish again. Prior to Jesus showing up, Peter is sitting in the boat not catching anything, literally the exact same situation. And this time, the second time, maybe he's remembering the first time, and he's saying, Jesus gave me a chance back then, but I blew it. I'm a washed out, washed up fisherman now. Nothing good to see here. It's bad. And then the same miracle happens again for a second time. And what, what, what is God saying in the midst of that to Peter? He's saying, you weren't worthy back then, and you're not worthy now. And for those of you that think you're worthy, based on how good you've been doing, you weren't worthy then. You're not worthy now. You've never been good enough. You've never been worthy. You're not good enough based on your own successes. What makes you good enough is that Jesus is on the shore of your life and he's chosen you. He's he's chosen you. That is what makes you worthy. Church, what makes you good enough is that God has chosen you. The miracle you experienced when you first believed, that fresh life, that anointing, it can be your reality today. And you might say, no, miracles aren't happening in my life. I was once there. Miracles can happen in your life today. Hallelujah. Jesus says, I'm not the one creating distance in the relationship. You are. 
you are. And so why don't you jump in? Hoist up your cloak and jump in the water and swim back to Jesus, hey? And so Peter swims ashore while John pulls in the fish. And when they arrive on the shore, Jesus, this is, this is so cool. Like, this is amazing. Jesus says, bring me a few of those fish. We're going to have breakfast. Wow. Some of you fishermen are like, oh, this is the best message ever. It's so good. <laughs> nice fire on the beach, having breakfast with Jesus, some fish. You know, in Jewish culture, sharing a meal with someone was a gesture of friendship and intimacy. And Jesus is saying, I want friendship with you. I want intimacy with you. Peter's head is spinning. Jesus, do you really want to have breakfast with me? He, he must not know. Jesus must know that I denied him, that I literally swore a curse on myself. He must not understand that I'm back fishing again because I'm a failure. I lost faith and I didn't stick around. Now we're having breakfast. But Jesus knew, and Jesus was about to restore Peter. This is so amazing. God wants to restore somebody today. Maybe somebody who's been really distant and been creating a lot of distance, and, and somebody who's fallen out of habit with so many good things, and God is saying, I want to restore you today. John chapter 21, we're going to start reading from verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The second time. He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is, this is hurtful. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is so amazing. I want to I point out first that Jesus addresses Peter by his old name in this passage. He calls him Simon. And this was really Jesus' way of reminding Peter, I know you have an old life. I know you have an old name. Peter, when you were Simon, you were unstable, you were impulsive, you were reckless when you were Simon. But when Jesus first called Peter, his name was Simon. And, the, and when that happened, Simon said to, Pete, to Jesus, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. When Jesus finds you, maybe you're not in the best condition. You have an old life and an old name. But Jesus still chose Peter and Jesus still chooses you. But I love this. He gave Simon a new name, the name Peter. Yeah, it's a good name. Oh, come on, Peter. Can I tell you what Peter means? Peter means the rock. Yeah. Pastor Matt once tried to tell me it means little stone. And I said, no, it means the rock. Come on, Pastor Matt. It means the rock. But Jesus called him Simon, knowing that in recent events, Peter had let his old nature and his old life take control. <laughs> you and I do that sometimes. But then three times in this text, Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? There are two definitions of, this lo of love in this passage. This is so good. Jesus says the first two times, do you agape me? Agape is the purest and most perfect form of love. Agape love is love that moves us to embrace God's purposes and obey them through his power. Jesus had the agape love of God when he went to the cross. Hallelujah. This is what Peter aspired to before he denied Jesus. Remember, Jesus, I love you so much. I will do whatever it takes. <clears throat> 
But then clearly he fell short of that. Peter responds to Jesus' question by saying, Lord, you know that I love you, but he uses a different word. In the Greek, he uses the word phileo. And the word phileo is a lesser love. It means to regard with affection. It is far from agape. This is friendship love. It's okay. City of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, of affection, phileo. It's not perfect love. Then Jesus asks him a second time, do you agape me? Peter responds, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then finally, Jesus asks him a third time, and I could just imagine Peter's lip begins to quiver. Tears are strolling down his face. He's like, this is so embarrassing how far I've fallen. Oh, Jesus, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy. Because being asked three times to affirm his love reminded Peter of something. It reminded him of the three times that he denied Jesus. But let me tell you about the third time that Jesus asked Peter about his love. This is amazing. On the third question, Jesus doesn't use the word agape. He switches and he matches Peter's answer. And he says, Peter, do you phileo me? Do you have affection for me? And Peter says for the third time, he didn't change his answer, yes, Lord, I have affection for you. I phileo you. And I just love this because I think for the first time in his relationship with Jesus, Peter was honest. He had really hit rock bottom and he said, I I don't have agape for you, Jesus, right now, anyways. I phileo you. I have affection. And I believe that Jesus was saying, start there, Peter. Because all three times Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he was saying, it's okay. Listen, church, Jesus knew the entire time that Peter's love wasn't perfect, but he was testing him to see if he would be honest. Peter didn't yet understand perfect love. He only had the capacity to feel some affection toward Jesus, but Jesus didn't disregard Peter. He said, do you phileo me? Peter said, I do, and he said, that's all I need. Feed my sheep. And sometimes we feel like we can only be used of God when we are so full of love and passion. We see Pastor Greg worshiping up front, and we go, oh, I wish that I had love for God like that. And God is still looking at you, and he's saying, get started. Serve me. Love me. Start from there. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to invite Holly to come. You can just play guitar for us if you like Holly. But what might God be saying to us this morning? Some of you may be like Peter before he denied Jesus. You're passionate. You're the person with the sword in the air. Yeah. I love you. I love you, Jesus. I love you. I would do anything for you. But maybe that isn't being entirely honest. And it isn't entirely true. You see, God is not looking for crusaders God is looking for those who are contrite. He's looking for those who are contrite. And to be contrite means to be reverent and honest. Just reverent and honest before God. Just like Peter, every time I think that I've figured it out, this happens to me. Wow, I've been doing really, really good. I haven't been sinning. I haven't been mean to Chantel. I've been a good employee to Pastor Greg. Like, I'm awesome. And then, I make a big mistake somehow. It's not good. Every time I say to myself, I've arrived I'm reminded that I am, I'm falling short. It's not perfect, but then I'm reminded to get up and keep going. The Bible says a righteous person falls seven times and gets back up again. 
And what God is saying to somebody in this room is you do imperfect and let Jesus do perfect in you. You do imperfect and let Jesus do perfect in you. You will fail and you will fall down every time if it's your own perfection that you're hanging on to. That was never the goal. And let me tell you who was perfect in this story. This is a whole other message. But Jesus didn't run away. Jesus didn't hide. Jesus didn't say, well, I don't know those people in Morinville. Huh, I don't know them. Jesus went to the cross. He went all the way with agape love, and he secured salvation for you and I. And so if all you've got today is phileo, Lord, I feel a little something in worship. I think it's some affection toward you. It's imperfect. Just start there. And the, the most important thing that you need to remind yourself of is that God's got agape for you. He has all sorts of agape for you. He has perfect love for you. Some of you might actually be in the midst of failure right now. So maybe you're not Peter when he was courageous, and I'll never deny you, Jesus, but maybe you're on the other side of failure and you feel like you don't behave well enough, you don't love enough, you don't give enough, you don't have what it takes to be right with God. That's the wrong focus. The one thing right now that God wants you to be all in on is your relationship with Christ. That is where you need to be all in. That is where you need to be all in. And all in means everything. It means, God, I'm giving you the good, I'm giving you the bad, I'm giving you the ugly. If you're now on the other side of failure, I just want to encourage you, don't run don't hide. Don't say, well, I'm going to stop going to church. Well, I was never really good at doing my devotions anyways. Don't stop praying. The word of the Lord to you today is that God sees how far short you fall and how imperfectly you love him. And he says, I love you anyways. I love you anyways with the most perfect love. Just come to me and be honest about that. Bring that to the altar and we'll pray. And so can we just do that this morning? If you need to go and pick up the kids, that's okay. But if God is really speaking to you today and you're just saying, there's been some areas this week, this month, where I've really fallen short. Just come and say, Jesus, here. And if you're the person that you're back fishing, you're off in your boat, trying to go back to your old life, jump in the water and swim back to Jesus. Come home. Some of you might be like Simon or Peter when he was Simon, and you're saying, go away from me. Lord, I'm a sinful person. Jesus is saying, I'm calling your name this morning. I'm calling your name. I'm coming right up to you. Will you receive me?